Hey guys, Logan from Pro Skills Basketball here with our latest pick and pop episode. I'm going to consider this week's episode part two of an episode Brendan and I did a few weeks back on youth sports officials. Recently, a video of a brawl between players, coaches, and officials at a game in Atlanta has gone viral, and I can think of no better time to cover this topic again. The violence in this video is repulsive, and to see both adults and kids taking part is disturbing, sad, and enraging all at the same time. So I sat down with Dietrich Brockett, a 13-year veteran in youth sports and the president of Let Em Play Sports Officiating Services, to get his thoughts on the state of youth sports officials and ways we can change things for the better. So here it is, my interview with Dietrich Brockett. Sitting here with Dietrich Brockett, are you the owner of Let Em Play Sports? Yeah, I'm the assigning owner uh, from Let Em Play Sports Officiating Services okay. here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, uh, how long have you been doing that? I've been, a, I've been the assigning um, owner-operator now since about 2005. 2005, so you're going on, that's about 13 years. 13 years, found the company was founded in the uh, city of Huntersville, North Carolina. Okay, what's changed in the last 13 years? In the world of youth sports? Oh, so much has changed in the, the world of youth sports in the past 13 years. Um, some of the changes have been uh, very impactful uh, to business owners like myself, as well as some of the other uh, signing agents throughout the United States. But uh, it's been a lot of changes as it's related to um, sportsmanship. Um, you know, with there being so much club basketball as well as, you know, youth athletics, uh, it's, you know, with it rapidly growing that much in 13 years, uh, it's it's taken on a, a, a own mind of its own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you take on your own mind of its own, sometimes those things could go either north or go south. And I would say it's, 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 it's at a point now where we're all having to take a step back and really assess everything that's going on with it. Yeah, what's it like out there right now from, from the standpoint of an official? From the standpoint of an official out there right now, uh, youth sports is, is very, very challenging for a lot of officials right now. Uh, the, the highest demand for officiating is in youth sports. The unfortunate part about it is that there isn't enough officials to go around in youth sports. Uh, mainly, uh, you know, it's levels to officiating. So you have your high school officials, you have collegiate officials, and mainly uh, in your youth sports, you're getting mainly guys that are just breaking barriers into getting into the world of officiating, um, trying to develop core curriculum experiences in between the lines of uh, getting seasoned at. Mm-hmm. Why, do you, why do you feel like you're having a hard time getting officials? Well, the biggest problem I'm having a hard time with getting officials is because of the temperature of the climate. It's very intense. Um, The parents, the coaches, even some of the associations that are affiliated with youth sports have such high demands of some of these individuals uh, from a skill-wise standpoint, as well as from a standpoint of you know their ability levels and it's extremely hard for one a guy is going out there for an hour and 10 hour and 15 minutes and he's making anywhere between 20 and 25 dollars an hour um, 
it's kind of tough to get those guys out there uh, based on that, that dollar amount and get the kind of, I would say, get the kind of production that they're looking for. You, you following me? Yeah. So it's been one of those things where you might get a veteran guy or somebody out there that's seasoned to be able to do it, but they're only going to be able to do it for so long because of the simple fact that their um, stress levels aren't well. When I say stress levels, like the intensity sometimes of the environment, uh, parents screaming, coaches screaming, kids seeing that think it's okay to do the same thing. And a lot of officials just can't see themselves with a young kid or just talking to him any old kind of way and it'd be acceptable because it's a totally different culture than it is between really organized high school sports. So you feel like that culture, when we talk about youth, when we talk about youth basketball, are we talking about middle school, school basketball? Are we talking about summer, you know, the quote club, travel team, AAU season? Is there, is there a difference in the two? Is, is one better than the other when it comes to like the, 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 the temperature of the atmosphere like you were talking about? Yeah, I, I, I would say we're, we're definitely talking club amateur basketball. Um, yes, there is definitely a skill level difference, and that's even at the high school level of club basketball as well as the middle school and um, elementary level. AAU basketball is, is comprised of, well, well, when when I was growing up, is comprised of some of the best athletes in the area would be playing on one team um, and, 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 and to be able to go out there and perform at a peak performance level, um, it's it, you got to have a pretty strong caliber uh, of officials out there to officiate that. Um, so if you think about it, putting that, that pool of talent out there on the floor and then putting referees out there in a two-official officiating system is strainful because most of the time they're doing three refs in a high school game. So uh, not only are the refs out there uh, with one less eye, well, one, one less eyes as well as feet on the floor to assist them, but just the amount of pressure that is put on those student athletes, that pressure is also carried on to the referees because a lot of Different stakeholders involved believe that, you know, some of those officials hold the keys to the cards of, you know, if you got a really, if you have a, a Mike Krzyzewski or if you have a Johnny Dawkins in town and they're recruiting a particular athlete, sometimes that secondary around the way athlete might, might strike that person's eye as well. So one or two calls and that kid is in foul trouble early. That parent believes we directly impacted that person's ability to showcase their abilities. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you brought up a good point. So one thing I was thinking about, I watch Krzyzewski in particular, and he is all over the refs, all game, every game. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to lead you or anything, but how do you feel like that trickles down to, to the youth coaches? I definitely believe it trickles down to the youth coaches because they feel as though – if at that level, Mike is holding officials accountable at that level for whatever particular situation he might be put in or or whatever disadvantage that player might be put in, um, they definitely feel as though there should be a certain accountability system in at the lower levels. And and, and like as you said, that that's the trickle-down effect um, of the impact it has. But 
little do I think those coaches at that level realize how much of a bigger impact at that level it has than it does on their level. Now we're talking, you're talking careers and stuff up at that level. You're not really generally talking careers at the uh, amateur level, but again, you're talking futures. And that's with the parents. That's, that's, their, that's their mindset. My kid's future is impacted and di- is directly impacted, whether positively or negatively, based on that outcome. Do you think that's correct? No, I, I, I really don't think it, they should be judged. They should judge their kids or judge uh, game officials or judge tournament directors on the outcome of a tournament because in life, we're all going to be thrown curveballs and change-ups. And I don't think we're teaching our kids how to work through adversity if there is always going to be an, an accountable party. Scapegoat. Scapegoat. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. You, you see in, in just something interesting about sports is when you watch, and, I mean, you can be at a random weekend tournament. There's not a college coach in sight. There's not a recruiting service in sight. It's a fifth-grade game. And for some reason, you know, and, and, and I don't know what it's like to watch my son, my child, play in that, in, that, in that situation, but at the same time, it's not life or death. What is it about referees? What is it about sports in that situation that just makes an otherwise normal person get so angry and, 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 and feel the freedom to berate somebody who's trying to do their job? You know... I've been <laughs> piggying back and forth with that same subject we're getting ready to, to jump into. What takes a parent uh, from that moderate entry-level mentality when they come in the gym to a level that they've never been at or a point of no return? And one of the things, us in the referees community, and, and, and I'm speaking as the community of officials, there are so many parents that are involved in youth sports. There were so many goals and things they wanted to accomplish in life that went unaccomplished. And I think when you have your kids, and, and this is for everybody, everybody wants to see their kids outdo them or do things they wish they could do at that time when you were their age. But with sports being such a competitive youth sports, <laughs> I, I want to make sure I get back to youth sports being such a competitive um, piece, parents are definitely trying to live through their kids. And the temperament piece is one thing that they struggle with. You, if you go around to some of these gyms on Sundays, pool play is pretty much done. You're playing bracket play on Sunday. Referees know if they're assigned that second shift Sunday afternoon, every one of those games have something riding on it. Some officials are programmed for it to be able to handle it, and some officials are just, can you can you keep me off those games? I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I'm mentally prepared to deal with everything that comes with it. It's that intense. It's that intense. For a 
random weekend tournament. And you got to think of like in the grand scheme of things, there's there's those tournaments are going on in hundreds, if not thousands, of cities all across America, and and in one particular location, one spot, it's it's built up to such a such a high magnitude for a game that in the end probably has no bearing on directly ties to a kid's future whatsoever. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I personally think one thing that leads to leads to all of this, especially among ba- amongst basketball officials, is is how popular basketball is. It's on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. Parents can sit there and, and listen to watch Sports Center, listen to Jay Billis talk and break down games, and listen to the announcers question officials on 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 the NBA game. So, I think everybody thinks that they know that they could go out there and, and, and referee a game. So help explain to those people that think that, like, I could referee a game or, or if I'm the guy up in the stands who's complaining about every single call, what does that person not really understand about what it's like to be on the court? I would say you go into a lot of gyms, a lot of individuals, you know, whether they're parents or whether they're family members that are in the stands, they've played basketball. One of the things that – before I got into officiating in 1998 was I thought I knew all of the intricacies of the disciplines it takes to be an official. Um, To become a a sports official is very, very challenging and it's all very time consuming. I would say an individual that has a, a passion for basketball, you have to, for one, have to have a passion to want to even partake into officiating. Um, what gets lost sometimes is the amount of commitment it requires. And any a lot of people think they can do it until they get into the commitment stage of what it's going to take of you in the books, what it's going to take of you in the classroom, and what it's going to take for you in the hands-on, in-between-the-lines training. And we see so much stuff at the NBA and collegiate level. I mean, if you think about those, some of those guys are professionals. At that level, they kick calls. There's bad judgment in certain situations. And one of the things I think a lot of officials are challenged with that are the lower levels, which is amateur youth basketball, middle school, and high school. If you see that some of these individuals are pros that are challenged, why aren't they given the same amount of rope at the lower levels? You kind of follow me a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, but the thing about it is, you know, a fan will be quick to tell a referee, you need to get back in the book, or you need to get additional training, or I need to speak to your assigning agent because I think he's put you out here before the fruit was ripe. Yeah. Uh, so, did you tell me if I decided tomorrow that I wanted to go out and referee a, a, a middle school travel ball tournament? No experience whatsoever. I played basketball. Like, where do I start? What do I have to do? And how long until I'm on the court refereeing that game? So, first, the way this the culture is set up, <laughs> we know like within the last three to four years, if you if you if you're listening to this. You just do some research as 
what is it going to take to be efficient? One thing is they will never put you out into a travel basketball environment for your first experience because we believe if we acclimate you to that environment, you might not ever want to come back again. Okay? Number two, you would have a more successful shot at being successful as a referee in your first opportunity doing a middle school basketball game. Number three, if you just said to me you wanted to become an official, hi, my name is Brian, I'm interested in becoming an official, I would say, Brian, uh, what's your level of basketball resume? What kind of IQ do you have? Okay. Once those two, two, two areas, we, we kind of assess that, we'll get a feel for what your, what your schedule level is. Because once you tell me your schedule level, then, I, then that's when I'm going to explain the amount of commitment it's going to require up, upward, up front probably four to six weeks of in-the-class training. Then once you're done that, you have to complete scrimmage requirements. All right? So that could take up to two to three weeks. And then at that point, once you've completed those two processes, we'll get a feel on what you look like you might be comfortable doing. Yeah, how you perform in a game. Exactly. Exactly. But it all be determined on your uh, learning curve. Yeah. So you said four, like a four to six week classroom sort yes. of schedule, yep. um, a two week sort of it looks like on the court training sort of schedule. Um, after that, how how often do referees sort of have to refresh, retrain, and then and then how often are they evaluated, and how does that evaluation process work? So once you go through that initial intake process in class on the court. Each year, we go through a certification process in the state of North Carolina with the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. So in the fall, we'll go through about four to six weeks worth of, we'll meet one night a week as, a, as, a, as an association. Then once you get past that point, towards the end of October is when, you, you know, we'll start picking up, you'll, you'll get training books and all of those things, and then you'll take the state exam. Once you get to take the state exam, we're already in the scrimmage evaluation stage. So each person is graded, you know, based on their classification level, strong, you know, mid-level, uh, middle school level, recreational level official. So each, each area is graded uh, based on your ability levels. Um, so I would say once you go through that refresher and if you're, if you're ready to go and somebody that's in some decent physical conditioning, because you got to think, to be an official here and to be successful at the level we are, at the level of the playing fields nowadays, this is a 365-day-a-year um, trade because the athletes are only going to be made, remaining between the age of 12 to 17. Mm-hmm. Officials are going to age every year. So it's like you can get to the top of the mountain, but in order to stay there, it's what you're going to do to separate yourself from everybody else. Yeah. In your honest opinion, how, how rigorous is that? Is the book training, the exam, um, would it help with quality? If, if In your opinion, should it be more rigorous? Do you think it's too much? I realize we're talking about all this stuff in order to go out and referee a game and get paid $20 an hour. So it, I, it seems like there's a fine balance between like you can't demand so much of these guys if we're just gonna if they're not gonna they're not gonna be paid like some Wall Street worker you That's know right. I mean, they can't go through that sort of training. Um, but I guess I guess my my point in your opinion is do you feel like that 
that statewide required exam is at the right level of intensity? Should it be more rigorous? Should it be a little bit easier? I think at the current state of officiating, there is a national shortage right now in referees. This is in all 52 states. Um, and it's being directly um, felt at all levels besides collegiate level basketball and on up. At the current state of things, I honestly don't feel as though the current process is 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 strong enough. I think it needs to be more of kind of like a school setting, a training school setting, um, more on the court. I think it should be sixty percent of on the court training and forty percent in class. Some people feel as though it should be seventy percent on the court and thirty percent in class, because the best experience sometimes is in the line of duty. You you think about you know being a police officer. A police officer, you know, they go through an academy of training, but their real training didn't start until they got in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the current state of the training processes that each state's using. Um, I believe it could be definitely stronger. Do you think that would help um, improve the atmosphere? I think it would definitely help improve the atmosphere. I I honestly think um, it should be a totally different training piece for amateur athletics than it should be for interscholastic athletics. Why is that? The reason I feel is that is because you got, there's a social aspect to amateur athletics, it takes a special individual, mind, body, and spirit to be able to officiate in those environments because of the intensity levels. So I think it should be training on conflict resolution. I think there should be a training on um, boundary settings, um, communication. Um, I think there should also be more crisis plan stuff training for individuals on how to deal with certain situations. I mean, I'm not sure if you know, about a month ago in Greensboro, there was a situation where two parents had a disagreement in the stands in a girls' showcase tournament, and a parent pulled a gun out on another parent. Mm-hmm. I heard about that, yeah. So, so, so <coughs> as an official, if you see something like that, your first thing is run. Your first thing is run. But, again, we're talking officials here. I think there should be a, a, an approach in that manner for officials, coaches, as well as parents. Like each, because if you think about it, the NCAA makes coaches go through a little certification piece when you're playing in those live events. I think officials should need to have to go through something like that, as well as these student athletes' parents, which are going to prepare them for what it's going to be like at the next level. Yeah. Hmm. Dietrich, give me an example. What do you think, what's something that you hear all the time, a parent complain about a particular call? You hear it all the time, and every time you hear it, it's wrong. What is, what is one rule that parents think that they know but is not correct, and they continue to yell at your officials about it? Three seconds. It's either three seconds or that's a backcourt violation. Now, one of the challenges is I've, I train referees. There's never no engagement with parents at any time during the course of a game. 
there's times when there's dead balls and you might have a section of parents that say, ref, call the three seconds. They're blatantly camping out in the lane. And, you know, I have a, I went to school, I graduated with a degree in sociology and psychology, so I have a good feel for people. And from what I, the way I carry myself, people have a good feel for me. So sometimes a parent might approach me and say, hey, why aren't you guys calling three seconds? And I'll say, ma'am, the way the rule book states is three seconds is only applied before an attempted shot, and it's not on while the ball is in air or where there's no possession. Hmm. So, so that's the piece they're getting wrong. That's the piece they're getting wrong. They believe the three-second count starts from the time they're counting. Remember, a parent's count is going to be way more faster than my mental count, okay? The count starts the time the officials observe the player gaining. And the key word is advantage in the lane. Hmm. But I think, honestly, I think so much can be done to improve the mentality and the mind frame of the parents' lack of knowledge by having preseason clinics with these parents who might have a lack of basketball knowledge as it relates to the rule book. You're not going to be able to reach them all. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But if you could maybe reach one or two, that might be able to impact the culture of the other ones. We're making improvements and advancements. Yeah. I just find that interesting. You know, I, I, I played basketball in college, and I played for a long time, and I, I heard a ref say the same thing. Like, no, he, has to, he quizzed us as coaches. Like, tell me, you guys tell me what's backcourt in this situation. And he, he did a couple of things with you know, two feet across, one foot across, the ball across. And, and, and I was like, oh, man, I, I don't know. And I... You know, I got the wrong answer, and he, he explained how, how it's written in the rule book, and it really made me question my lack of, or made me, made me question my knowledge of, like, do I really know like <laughs> every single rule in, in the rule book? So, mm-hmm. hey, before I open my mouth to make myself look stupid, I need to, I need to be sure that I, I know what I'm talking about, and I know what's, what's by the book, because this person's been trained in the classroom to do this. I have not. So maybe he knows something that I don't. And I realize like not everyone's going to feel that way. And also, referees are not perfect. They do make mistakes. And some people really choose to harp on those mistakes. But I find that interesting is, you know, not everybody knows as much as they think they know. Especially on that backcourt one. I was actually watching a game the other night in the NBA. And a referee made an incorrect call on the backcourt because he was in front of the ball handler. The referee, you know, you're always supposed to trail the ball handlers so you can observe and make a judgment on whether both feet and the ball were established in the front court of play Hmm. versus there was no establishment because he had one foot in the back court and he had the ball in his front leg in the front court. So, you know, as refs, even though we know the rule, sometimes in the line of battle we might get so excited to beat the ball handler of the court and say, hey, man, that looked like that ball, he passed it and the ball was in the backcourt. You know, it's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a coach, 
they'll harp on those things if they lost by one or two or three or four points that directly influenced or impacted the outcome. Yeah. Well, Dietrich, let me, let me play devil's advocate here for a little bit. Cool, <clears throat> let's do it. Because well, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I'm not the kind of person, I, I don't enjoy going to games and just making myself angry by yelling at officials. But there are times when I go to games and I see a guy who is clearly not engaged. He's not, he, may, he walks to half court, he walks to the baseline, he makes calls that he just looks like he does not care to be there. So as a fan, that is what frustrates me. Gotcha. How, how is the, the officiating world, how, how do you handle situations like that? And, and do you understand that from oh, a fan's yes. perspective? I understand it, and, and, and I understand it from my perspective. I, I have a, an approach where I definitely was coached up don't try to cut corners. If you're doing a suicide, touch the line. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to do it again. The, 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 the problem and the challenge, assigners like myself as well as others ones struggle with that, is due to the demand with three different associations holding major events in the same town. And they're pulling from a pool of four to 500 officials. And the first 30 of them, you know, if you're good, you're going immediately. So it's more of a guys are stretching the bottom of the the barrel to meet the demand for the weekend. And those guys are particularly guys, when you see that kind of individual walking the floor, he doesn't look like he's engaged. He looks like his mind is on, what am I going to have for dinner after this four-game set? Those are the individuals that make it bad for all the other ones who take this extremely serious and want to do it. Uh, It's extremely discouraging to an assigner like myself when the, 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 the pros and cons and the demands of youth sports forces an individual like myself to have to use those kind of individuals because they're a direct reflection on who we are as individuals. And whether you believe it or not, we kind of communicate to some people, like some of the associations, like, hey, all of the best officials are, they're already gone. You know, if we get a last minute change on something, or Thursday night some teams are pulled out, or we got 10 teams that want to come on and we need, you know, well, I've only got some inexperienced guys available, and I got some guys that I wouldn't particularly want to use. But let's give them a, sh- a, sh- a chance. And those are typically the ones we get the most complaints on. Those are the ones who leave the bad taste in those parents' mouths. Those are the ones those parents visualize when they're dealing when they see a good one. But they don't never give that individual an opportunity to create his own perception for you to read off of. Seems like a pretty dire situation when you have more and more kids playing youth sports, more tournaments every weekend, and less and less people wanting to become officials. <laughs> That's, That's scarce right now. Mm-hmm. That is scarce. Um, and it's only going to get bigger. Um, we deal with uh, Rick Lewis, who, is, who runs uh, his events year-round he's going to be transitioning everything into the Rock Hill Charlotte area 
in the next six to seven months. So you're talking about another 30 events that are going to be coming to the area that, you know, he mainly runs NCAA certified events. So we're now having to strategically combine our resources here to make sure we're able to carry out those kind of events because the the Charlotte, and I'm just saying, I'm speaking on the Charlotte area, it is probably one of the most rapidly going youth sports arenas in the United States. And I, and I, and I speak to other signers in Virginia, New York, California, and North Carolina has some of the most club basketball, amateur sports in the United States. Yeah, wow. And has the problem still of a shortage in officials, which isn't good at all for anybody. Do you think it's part of the answer, paying officials more? I think that is definitely a piece. Paying the officials more money is part of what's going to help us put a better product on the floor. But I, I also think it's, 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 it's a compromise situation. I mean, we can give those guys more money, but if the temperature of the climate and the demands of the climate don't change, the LeVar Balls of the world and individuals like that are still going to really impact whether officials want to do youth sports anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and just speaking of that situation last summer, that was an amateur youth event in Las Vegas that was ha- held by Ed Rush. And, uh, you know, for him, for, for LeVar and his team to be playing and him to have a bone to pick with a female official and to take his court, his kids off the court who were out there in front of a bunch of NCAA scouts. Um, it was very, very... Uh, that official had some serious confidence issues behind that because of the simple fact she was out there, um, you know, showcasing her abilities to get to, whether it be the G League, the WNBA. I mean... Some of these officials have some of the same things riding on their careers mm-hmm. as some of these players do. I mean, that's just, just where we are. But at the same time, you can, you can understand how much influence and how much pressure is put on these officials. Obviously, like I said, you know, give somebody a few extra bucks, you might get, a, you might get a, a, that much better of a performance or more of a, an appreciation where that official, and normally the way I see a spike in officials grow is when one official's telling two other officials that work in the office with them, hey, you might want to get into some sports officiating. You know, it's a great opportunity um, to, 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 to still be in contact with youth athletics, have an impact on in athletics, and to earn a few extra bucks, you know? And that's normally how it works. So I'm thinking we're losing right now in our own ability to self promote what we're doing. Because of our current mm-hmm. perception of the experiences we're going through, it it just seems, it seems crazy to me <clears throat> how little communication there is between officials and, and 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 fans. It's almost as if when parents walk into the game, it's almost a, a you, me versus you mentality right from the right from the get go. And and I'm, I've gotten to know enough 
officials throughout, you know, doing this for the last couple of years that I know that that's not the case. I know these guys are, they come from all different situations. They're motivated by refereeing for, by all different reasons. That's right. And if, you know, I, I choose to believe that, you know, if, if there was some, if, if people could know, like, you know, a little thing like, hey, I'm only getting paid 20 bucks for this game. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to miss some calls. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some calls right. I'm not out here to cheat anybody. That's right. Right. You, you would hope that that would sort of settle things down a little bit. But instead, the conflict almost starts b- before the ball is even tipped. It's it is. me versus you, the officials. And I just feel like there's somehow if, if we could bridge that gap of, of that lack of communication, you would hope that the culture of youth sports could, could be changed for the better. I definitely believe us bridging the gap starts from the time we get started with our preseason meetings and and our uh, practices and things of that nature. I think it's just one of those things like you see at the current state of police in the community. Uh, one way to bring p- police trust back to the community is doing things in the community that have nothing to do with me picking somebody up or me investigating this. How about coming out to the town's community day? Show a certain level of appreciation. Like, you know, most of our officials, we try to give back. Now, not every officiating organization preaches those things, but one of our things is we show our schools as well as our organizations we deal with our appreciation during the course of June is camp month. We we go provide our services to camps and stuff at like maybe 50 to 60% off of the amount of the service. And we do it for one, to better ourselves at the craft of officiating, as well as give back to those schools and, and the organizations that are putting together those events to show that, hey, this, we, we appreciate what you guys do for us, 365 a month. And, and there's officials who do this at the youth sports level as a career. Um, this is what they base their, their quality of life on. And then there's others who might be like that official that we might see in the gym walking the floor or, you know, the mentality is they need me more than I need them. <laughs> <laughs> That's asking for problems, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, isn't that a heck of a problem? Yeah. Um, so last last question I got for you, Dietrich, is that, you know, what what is the craziest thing that's ever happened to you as an official on the court? It could be a high school game, school game, travel ball game, and anything that stands out in your mind, like this happened yeah. one time, it's crazy. Yeah, man, I, uh, I would say in about 2005, we were officiating an AAU tournament down at Bradley Middle School in Huntersville. Uh, a team from Charlotte was playing and maybe a team from Durham was playing. And my partner at the time said there was a player on one of the teams, you know, really saying some very derogative, unsportsmanlike stuff to his opponent. So he said he had warned him during a timeout. He, the player continued and started you know, being very unsportsmanlike to the, the official. So the official teed him, and he said something to the referee. So during the course of our next dead ball, the official said something to his father. 
His father comes on the court chasing my partner around the basketball court. My partner was ducking and dodging and weaving like Muhammad Ali. <laughs> it was it was it was an experience of all experiences. Now I've seen a lot going to court, but I've never been in a situation where a fan was chasing an official in the court, called the cops. Um cops were notified, the fan and his son leaves and runs out the gym. But I've never been in a situation where I've ever felt like my partner's safety and my safety was compromised, unlike that situation I'm speaking of in Huntersville. Yeah. And that was at the the peak time period. You know, I kind of look at the, the amateur basketball spike. 2005 was like the, the, the great... Not depression, but the the increase of mm. AAU basketball. Like two thousand five, it it went bonkers. Like really went all the way up, and you know I, I we've done some some findings and stuff like that. And in the last ten years since that, it's it's taken precedent mm-hmm. over everything. Wow, crazy, crazy. So that's my on. experience there. <laughs> that you know one of those ones I share with my kids one day. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 Dietrich, I lied. I got one more question for you. Cool. After all this, do you see it getting better anytime soon? I, I can see it getting better. And the reason I have faith and proof to believe is this season at uh, Carolina Courts, we've taken our approach where they've started, we've started doing things with these games that we've never done before. And we've started treating these amateur games like regular high school games. There are meetings with coaches prior to the game. Basically, coach, you know, officials introduce themselves. Home coach, visiting coach, we're your crew for today's basketball game. Um, Just some some quick household items. Um, Coach's box starts here, works its way down. Coach's box works its way down. Each team gets four timeouts. Use them at your discretion. Just make sure you possess the ball. Coach, do you have any questions on the rules of play for today? You're giving them the floor at that point to ask any questions on how how should we prepare our players for how the game will be managed? How should we um, address you during dead balls or live balls? In it, I can honestly say I've seen a decrease in the amount of incidents as it's related to officials and fans after basketball games. Whether it be a fan approaching an official or the coach approaching an official. Because the groundwork was identified prior to getting started with the game. We let our coaches know, you're responsible for your fans. Any event, a situation might come up on the court, we'll refer to the tournament manager and we will not address a fan or say anything to a fan. We will make it, we will notify the proper channels that we're having the issue. Most of the time, when you put ownership on coaches of their fans, in the event that fan becomes irate or, or, or overboard, you've already created somebody 
to have your back in mm-hmm. when something goes wrong. So I think empowering these coaches to understand that they influence these parents, whether directly or indirectly, is going to play a major role on the atmosphere and the temperature of the environment. Mm-hmm. Just something as easy as establishing some mutual trust, establishing yeah, mutual trust. Hey, we're in this together. Boundary we're setting. Do our best. Yeah, set some boundaries. Be respectful. A little thing like that can go a long way. So, awesome, Dietrich. Man, that's all I got for you. Unless you got anything else to add, I you know really appreciate you coming by. Um, appreciate hope, the opportunity, man. Open I mean, up I'm... some channels of communication and open you know some understanding between fans and, and youth officials and. Hopefully we can uh, we can make a positive step forward and I think change starts with ownership though. You got to own whatever you want to see that's going to happen for the better. Yeah. And if yeah. you own that and you're passionate about it, it'll show up. Absolutely, man. Well, and thanks so much, dude. I appreciate it. Yep, appreciate the opportunity, <laughs> yep. man.